Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gundo Chronicles, baby. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 102. We are bringing the West Coast vibe tonight, Mike Jones. And I'd have to imagine in the early 2000s, he had to have had enough people go, I'm Mike Jones, to him that I'm not going to do it on today's episode. I'm going to refrain from going, I'm Mike Jones. He's probably like, Ugh. These guys, ugh. Anyways, Mike Jones is the owner, head trainer, bad-to-the-bone entrepreneur. He's got a very similar story to mine about overcoming challenges on building a business, and I, I love getting into it with him and, and hearing his story. It's, it's really, really awesome. I don't even know another word. It was awesome, and he's super smart about dogs. He's from Primal Canine. Out on the West Coast, Cali, baby. California knows how to party. Mike Jones coming up. But first, let's get into the sponsors. Yukonuba, baby. The food, the fuels, the truck of Lone Duck. Feeding champions. We're about to feed some new master hunters this summer, baby. I got some nice dogs right now. A couple of dogs that are going to be running senior hunter that are just blossoming. It's so much fun to watch these dogs come up through the ranks and, and start kicking butt. I'm really proud of them, and I appreciate the food that helps make them work hard, recover quickly, and be able to do it again the next day. Bad to the bone. Do that Yukonuba three-month challenge. Get on that Chewy.com, wherever you got to get it. Get it. Try it for three months. Tell me what you think. Next up, Kevin had a little phone call with the old Kent folks this week and they said they've been getting inundated big word inundated 
with Bismuth. So I want to say thank you, listeners, for tagging them and DMing them and whatever you're doing that they are getting enough Bismuth. They're like, what the heck is this? And then we had to tell them that that, that's what we're doing. So thank you for doing that. Uh, it shows support of our show and it, it's awesome. So check them out. It's Kent cartridge on Instagram and they're great folks. It's a American business and they love what we do and what we do. I don't mean me and Kevin and the podcast. They love what we do. You guys, me and you with our dogs out there, duck hunting, out there training. They love it. So support a company that loves the stuff that we love kent baby next up man's best kennel made in america the flags are flying it's almost memorial day and no better company that shares our unspoken bond better than gunner kennels they protect the dogs when you're rolling down the road if you'd like to get into yourself or get you a gunner kennel slip on into my dms i'll hook it up faux show Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. Traeger. What did I cook this week? I cooked something. My memory stinks. Help me out, Kevin. What did I cook us? We were doing uh, venison burgers. Oh, that's right. Literally yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Bob forgot buns and anything else that could go on the burger. So we had ketchup. He came back inside and was like, uh, we got meat. Yeah, basically like having meatloaf. It was delectable. Yeah. I made meatloaf in a patty form on the Traeger. Yeah. Yeah. They were delicious. Smoke them if you got them, baby. Get you into the Traeger hood. All right. Next up, Dogtra. Ran, all- ran the new Pathfinder today. Yeah. I almost said man's best collar, but that's not their tagline. Theirs no. is like make every dog exceptional or something, and, and it's true. Yeah. But, yeah, we ran the Pathfinder day. We snapped some pics of, of Andy and Covey, the English setters, rocking some points. And uh, it was really neat to see that Pathfinder work where it's tracking how far the dog ran. It told them when they're on point. It did a lot of neat little gadgety things. I got a text message saying, your dog's on point. Well, that's pretty fancy. Yeah, not bad. It's a really neat unit. Uh, I think a a beagle guy or gal or houndsman or one would love this thing. And I think we're going to keep playing with it with the pointing dogs and have fun with it. It's it's going to up our grouse and woodcock hunt this fall. So if you're into that sort of thing, check out Dogtra's Pathfinder. Um, next up, we're going to talk a little bit about the old Patreons. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Listen, if me and you, the listener, were hanging out in a bar and you're like, man, I love your show. Can I buy you a beer? Be like, hell yeah, give me a bush light. That's kind of like what our Patreon is. There's several different tiers, and you can get more in-depth as you go up in price, but at the minimum, it's like buying me and Kev a beer on our podcast night. Uh, It also enters you in to win a free, all-expenses-paid duck hunt, which we are going to uh, pick a winner in September, I think I said. Uh, Yeah, I believe you said September. We're going to do like a randomized... There's things you can do on the internet where you plug in everybody's name and hit, you know, randomize a generator thing. Yeah. So So if you want to come, see Duck Hunting with Pit Boss, Jeff Coates, Captain Jeff, 
on the eastern shore of Maryland. If you want to come with us and shoot some scoters and hit that black scoter, white wing scoter, and the old coveted surf scoter with me, Kevin, and old Captain Jeff, you're going to be entered automatically if you join our Patreon for five bucks a month. You like the podcast, you want to support us, you want to buy us a beer, hook it up, baby. We appreciate you very, very much. And also, we've had some good sales on the old website, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. A lot of hats. And like I said, if I see you at a hunt test with a Lone Duck hat on, I'm coming up and high-fiving you, baby. We're going to hang out. So we appreciate everything, all the support you guys give to Lone Duck. Um, So those are the two ways you can help us out. Grab something on the website if you dig it and or hop on Patreon and join our community there and be entered to win that free duck hunt. So, bang, boom, bow. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective, in tune with you, in tune with us. Somewhere we're in the top in Canada. I wonder where we are in other countries. We got to be up there, man. I can't imagine that, like, we're not high in, like, India. We uh, we did good in Finland for a little while. I don't know how the dog training. Hell yeah, Finland. It. Yeah. Shout that. out to Finland. Canada, old news. Finland, you're the new one. You're in. You're in. You're Big in. Finland fan here. Finally. Finally, Finland. Yeah, no, thank you all for tuning in, and Waypoint helps us keep it all in track. So check them out on the old Instagrams. All right, let's get into the show. We got that Mike Jones. Mike, thank you for joining us tonight. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, so my name is Mike Jones. I'm the owner, uh, founder, and head trainer of Primal Canine Dog Training. Um, I started really young. Uh, I was around 13 years old. Uh, my household situation at the time was a little crazy, so I spent a lot of my time outside, and I lived, <laughs> lived in an area called Eastside San Jose in California, which wasn't um, the best of neighborhoods. So we had a lot of stray dogs running around, typically chihuahuas and like pit bulls. And I found a lot of my like uh, release was being outside either being chased by the dog um, that wanted to essentially maybe bite me um, or, you know, chasing the dog to make a friend. Um, so I, I started that connection really young. Uh, and then I got in a little bit of trouble. Like I said, the area grew up and wasn't the greatest. So I got in a little bit of trouble. And my part of my community service was to work in a shelter. Uh, and that's where I started to formally learn, like, you know, dog training from the positive uh, reinforcement side. And I just kind of fell in love with it uh, and just we just went from there. And, you know, when you're young or you're being that young, you know, life kind of takes its course. There's a lot of things that change. Um, but dogs always maintained a really consistent part of my life. Uh, whereas, like, you know, like I said before, like, they were just something that's, you know, it was an escape to me. So I was always just kind of involved in as much stuff I can, whether it was volunteering um, at shelters or, you know, helping a friend with their dog or, you know, just finding strays that can, you know, help find a home or, you know, basically place them somewhere. But I always was heavily involved in dogs no matter what I was doing. Um, so, you know, life took its course for a while. And then I went into a box professionally for a while. And then I got into like mixed martial arts and then again, kind of got into a little bit of uh, a little bit of a trouble there. And then once, you know, and after like that was often kind of, my home again, I went back into dogs and I, I found a mentor around 20, 2021, um, by the name of Terry Macias. Uh, and he was the German shepherd, or I think believe he's still now the German shepherd club, of uh, San Jose's president. And he, they specialized in Schutzen. And I learned because of my uh, combat sports background, I was 
basically there to be the helper, which is the guy with sleep for people who don't, yeah. you know, know what shifts in, <laughs> who don't know that stuff. Yeah, you're so, the guy with the bike you know, getting bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the dude uh, downfield uh, getting cut to get nailed by this 100-pound German Shepherd. Uh, so I was I was that guy. I was learning to be a helper for a few years, and you know that style of training was very much different than what I was used to. You know, I was used to clickers and yes, and like all these other things. And then I get out there, and it's it's prong collars and you know much yanking crank. So it was it was very much a, a, a different world for me. And it completely changed like my perspective of what dog training was and like, you know, like what it actually was. Cause I was kind of stuck in the box. Like we all kind of, depending on which like, you know, sector or whatever type of thing you're training in dogs, like it, it's easy to get stuck in that training box per that individual, like part of dog training. So it, for me, it just opened my eyes to this whole thing of like high level com- like competitive trainers where, you know, they're essentially they're athletes. You know, and these dogs that are taking an immense amount of pressure, not only from, you know, just the training exercises, but from their own handlers and still walking around like, oh, like, you know, you know, very intrigued, really happy, really motivated to work. So it contradicted what I was taught, but it also showed me a completely different side. And so it helped me kind of work this balance side of training out or figure out it's, it basically it lit the match. They like started like what is now the giant fire that we have when it comes to just being progressive as we possible can as possibly can um, with dog training and just kind of opened our eyes or opened my eyes a lot. And, you know, I did this for years. And then finally uh, I was at a, a place in my life where like, okay, everything was kind of settled in. Uh, I moved in next to a, a, a daycare called a uh, Springdale kennels. And they were a large daycare. It actually used to be a breeding facility for well, right up your guys' alley, like gun dogs. Um, so they were there to turn it into a daycare, large facility, like a hundred plus kennels, um, because they, it was a breeding facility beforehand. And I used to take my dog there. My dog was like reactive. So I just told him like, just keep her in one of the big kennels, like where she could just hang out by herself. Um, don't, you know, don't mix her with dog groups or anything like that. Cause I didn't, you know, daycare staff don't, I didn't really, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know what they're doing or anything. And I just didn't like that idea. Um, but I started volunteering my time because I found out, you know, months into being there that what people were doing there because they had a no turn away policy uh, is that people would just drop dogs off and never pick them up. Mm. So they would just leave dogs there, never pick them up or worst case scenarios. Cause I had, eventually I got a key to the facility is they would just tie dogs up to posts like outside of there and just leave them there. So it was, it became a thing for them to have like, you know, 10, 15 dogs that were never going to get picked up and they didn't want to take them to the shelter because at that time in San Jose, at least the area that we were in, um, there were tons of useless cases. So I came in there just knowing the background that I had from working with, you know, dogs in shelters and, you know, dogs, you don't know what the behavioral cases are. I came in there and I just started, you know, trying to volunteer as much of my time as possible to help these dogs, one, be adoptable, and to get them adopted. So I started training these dogs to get them to like basically out of this, out of uh, Springdale. It was overloading them, but also to help, you know, these dogs basically live. Cause if not, they were going to go to the shelter, which, you know, would ultimately lead to basically the dog's death. Right. So I was, I basically worked there for a while. I just volunteered my time in between like the couple jobs I had. Um, and, it just kind of it rolled into something a lot more than what I was expecting. Um, the general manager there, Jeff, uh, and basically just told me and a few of my friends are like, you just start doing this like professionally. So 
I had a, I had a mortgage and, you know, things I had to pay for. So I still maintained, you know, my day job. And then the gym that I, I ran, I was, I taught boxing and jujitsu there. Um, so I, I was in between, I was basically in between, I you know, got up at four and class at, you know, seven. Uh, I would just go straight to the kennels and work, you know, every day. And then, you know, the weekends I'd be there on all day Saturday. And I, you know, we started, you know, the Mike Jones, uh, dog psychology. That was the, uh, the name of, Primal Canine before Primal Canine. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was when I was doing it part. Yeah, I was doing it really part time. And it was just really based on, you know, balanced training, figuring out the proper communication style, working towards the handler's goals, but also making sure, you know, like what we do now, making sure that it's realistic for the dog they have in front of them and also based on their management. And eventually I just took the plunge and why I had a, I had a, I guess a, personal training, fitness personal training company called the Primal Workout, which was based on, you know, natural body movements, you know, building strength within those. Cause I was very, I was very much into like the combat sports and still am. Um, and just, I, I found it fascinating how to like build power and national and, you know, actual like natural movements that you would utilize and punching, kicking, you know, grabbing, throwing, you know, anything like that. So I had this, you know, the Primal Workout and it just kind of hit to me. I was like, well, you know, we talk about, you know, how we generally communicate with dogs and the natural way of how we communicate them and how we domesticate them and made them biddable and all these other things. And I just, it kind of kicked us a little primal canine. I was like, you know, the natural way of communicating with dogs. And uh, despite what most people were like, oh man, that's aggressive because they see the teeth and the color. And then obviously like I'm a fairly heavily tattooed uh, guy with the beard. And it's like, and they're like, oh, that sounds aggressive. Well, it's based on the actual like communication, like with your dog, it's not nothing aggressive about it. Um, despite, you know, what people will see visually. So, uh, Primal Canine was born, you know, eight, a little over eight years ago. Good and from the day that, yeah. And, you know, the, and, the, and uh, thank you. And the day, since the day that we started, it's just been one of those like snowball things where we started at a, a small kennel where they allowed us to use part of one of their yards, uh, to train on the weekends. And we outgrew that pretty quickly. And, uh, we moved into a place, um, I was like this tin shack, like this, excuse me. If you drove by there, you'd probably keep driving. <laughs> you'd probably keep driving. It, it, it was not, it was not, I, I was, I'm very surprised we, we, th- we thrived as much as we could because it was a, you know, tin shacks all the way down. Um, during the nighttime, it was a dark alley uh, in San Jose. And it was, it was a very interesting spot. You know, we were right next to a place called Grom's where they worked on like race car parts. So it was loud and, you know, metal buildings are really loud and they're echoey. And then like a bunch of like manufacturing things. And we were just this dog spot. And like the funniest, the funny part about that was that those guys were complaining about dogs barking, but we had nothing but like hydraulic machines and like machine right. shops just wailing all day long. But one dog barks and it's, you know, Oh God, the whole, the whole thing's messed up. But uh, we quickly outgrew that spot. Um, and we moved into another location, which was better. And you know, about a year and a half, we outgrew that spot again. Uh, and we moved into uh, a, a very large location in a place called Campbell um, in California as well. And I don't know if you guys, how long you guys have been following us, but we ran into a huge dispute there uh, where we got this large facility because I actually started a, a rescue, which was self-funded um, by Primal Canine. We never took any donations. We never did anything where we would pull dogs that were useless cases or, you know, very severe reactivity cases where they're about to get euthanized by their owners. Uh, and we would train them, rehab them, and either adopt them out or, worst case scenario, they would just be with us forever, or at least that was the plan. 
Um, and then we moved into uh, this place in Campbell, which was a really nice area. It was actually the perfect spot for, in my opinion, it was the perfect spot for a dog training because in the front, you had three big rooms for training. You actually had like a house in the middle where there's a kitchen, there's a living room, there's three bedrooms. So I was able to put like my production crew in one room, um, a room for my trainers that would fly in and do my shadowing programs, and then just a room for overnight staff. Uh, and then we had like a living room and then like two big kennel rooms in this giant yard of, of about like 75 yards. But unfortunately, um, we, by the time we painted our building, which we painted it fully black and then put our red signs up and, and once the neighbors caught, you know, caught sight of me, uh, and some of the dogs, I would, I would walk in, you know, just when we moved in and we, we had no, we had no dogs there at the time, uh, my uh, acquaintance, or like I like to call him a friend, uh, Officer Jenkins from the uh, Santa Clara Animal Shelter called me literally the day that we put our signs up and um, painted the building and like the dad visited the location. And it was roughly 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I think, no, it had to no, be earlier. It's probably like 8.30 because I was watching like a USB, USB fight or something. And he calls me like, Hey man, he's like, just want to let you know, give you a heads up. Uh, your neighbors are complaining about you and saying there's dogs barking at your facility. And I, I just told him, I was, yeah, so I, I kind of laughed. I chuckled and he's like, well, it's officer Jenkins. I was like, you know, what's so funny? I was like, dude, I was like, no one's there. Like, so like, we don't have dogs there. We haven't even left our facility. Like our old facility is like, no one's there. He's like, really? I was like, go drive by there tomorrow. Meet me there in a couple of days. I was like, we're not even done renovating the inside. Just the outside happened. So, basically what it came down to is that, or at least what we thought, cause we, we took this all the way to the city. We did a whole hearing. Uh, we did everything. And what it came down to is that the neighbors across the street, um, is, is like a big, like apartment complex or condo complex. We're saying that we are bringing down the, the value of the community or of homes because we, the way that the building looked, the way that our company was represented online, um, and or what they thought they saw online and what I told them, I was like, okay, I was like, well, you know, if you move us from this facility, because ideally like this is the spot that we can get this best for what we were trying to accomplish. I was like, you know, there's lots of dogs that aren't going to be able to get training in. Cause we, we, we spent, uh, we had to spend about over a hundred thousand dollars getting into that facility. So like, you know, you're not only, I, well, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to make it after that, taking that hit, especially living in California. Although you're going to, one, I was like, all these dogs are useless cases, got to go somewhere. I was like, then there's nowhere for us to go um, currently because we're going to lose, you know, the X amount of money. I was like, you know, so that all of the free dogs, the Free Dogs Foundation dogs would probably end up being, luckily we found homes for the majority of them, but one end up end up getting euthanized because no one could uh, basically, or someone, one of my old employees took her um, just to like home her for a little while. And she bit her and she did a bunch of stuff because she wasn't listening to what we were telling her to do. And that's why she's an old employee. Uh, and then that dog, ended up getting <laughs> that dog ended up getting euthanized because the mistakes that her and her friends were making <clears throat> with the dog. And then we, you know, we went to the city and we told them all the stuff that was going to happen. We had such a big turnout on our side. And it just came down to property value. And these people were just like talking about, well, these guys are, you know, they they train aggressive dogs. They do all these other things. I was like, well, we, we train reactive dogs. And they're like, well, what about the dogs that bite you? I was like, I was like, you guys never see that. I was like, cause we were fully blocked off. I was like, you guys never hear that cause we soundproof. And I was like, you know, you only, only way you would see that is through some of like the cool highlight videos that we put out there. And even when I told them now, that when we put these like fun videos of music on, I was like, 
it's more to just motivate people and just like have a good time. Like it's just like, Oh, that's really cool to see. It's content. It's you're watching a minute of training right at that time. I think it's like Instagram videos, are like 15 seconds or something like that. And like you're watching like a very small clip of what, of, of a bigger picture. It's like picking up like a piece of rice out of a bag of rice. So like you're looking at like very small parts of this thing. And it, we ended up losing that battle with them because I, in my opinion, again, those, they were, we were, we were, we were losing from the beginning in, in with that stuff. Cause we were kind of going against the grain with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what that community uh, was doing. I mean, that community is a really uppity community. So they, they didn't like us uh, rolling in the way that we rolled in. Um, but you know, we bounced back from that ended up in Morgan Hill, um, which is further South, more into the country, uh, of, of like the Bay area. Uh, and we, you know, ran into a similar problem there, uh, when it came to that community as well, just cause it was just a nice, a really nice community. And, you know, they, they didn't particularly take well to the hand tattoos and face tattoos. Um, so they weren't down with that, a lot of that stuff and they, they ended up, it was more amicable there. They changed their zoning, um, and just made it so there's no doctrine allowed or facilities allowed it within, you know, that town. But they were cool with us. You know, they gave us adequate amount of time to move our space. And it, it was just a nice spot. It was a nice, a nice gesture of them, and which, you know, led us to our home now in Gilroy, which has been awesome. Um, but, you know, during that transition, you know, those, those years were kind of rough. Uh, we actually made, we made it, we made it through. We thrived during those times because, and yeah, I always kind of give credit to, you know, my fiance Aaron and um, also like, you know, talking to like the Ray Allen guys, like, you know, we were staying positive as much, po- as much as possible during all these hectic times and just making sure we were focusing on the dogs and, you know, lo and behold, you know, one day we get a, a message from, uh, the Ray Allen company or Ray Allen, Ray Allen manufacturing. And I tell this joke all the time. It's like, um, I didn't know, uh, Matt Wilson, who's the, basically Matt and Billy and JD and like those guys, they kind of run the show there. Um, I didn't know Matt's humor, but he kind of fell in line with my humor. Uh, <laughs> That message read, so I've been watching you from afar in the in DMs from, from Ray Allen. <laughs> Creepy <laughs> so, and awesome at the same time. Yeah, so I remember I was we were outside in the back of our facility in Morgan Hill, and we were barbecuing. And I looked at the thing, I was like, and I started laughing, and I looked, turned to somebody, I turned around to Aaron, and I was like, I was like, holy, I was like, holy shit, I was like, Ray Allen just messaged me because at that time I still thought it was like Ray Allen was like there was a guy named Ray Allen, like. I mean, there was like years and years and years ago. Right. I was like, oh shit. I was like, that's funny. I was like, that's kind of cool. But I find this absolutely hilarious. So I play, I kind of played back and forth with them. And we, you know, they just click right off the bat. Me and Matt became really good friends. And I still bug them, you know, pretty much every day. I'm just for like product stuff. And, you know, I, we started from there. And, you know, that was one of the catalysts that kind of just, helped me get through a lot of things. Cause I was at that time I was dealing with a lot of health issues too, uh, health issues as well. I had cancer. I, stomach, uh, I was originally diagnosed with like stage four stomach cancer. Um, so I wasn't even supposed to be there. And like, I was just kind of going through like a weird funk, uh, especially taking the hits from the loss of, you know, the facility and then having to redevelop and kind of still grow and support the staff I had and, you know, just basically train dogs and just function. So I had added a little more fuel to the fire that was kind of already going. And, you know, we started off with, you know, the Primal Canine Decoy Armor, which is like the leather gauntlet system that's available at Rayon as well. Uh, I helped design their, their suit, the new semi-comp suit that they have, um, which will be a part of like our, all the decoys from Canine Street League will get those as well. Um, and then, you know, the Incog treat pouches, the Incog clothing line that we're working on and 
some more stuff I'm having with them. So, you know, working with that crew, it really helped us help kind of build more energy. Cause it, you know, when you get like deflated, like it's just kind of like one of those things where it's hard to find that motivation, especially when you just keep taking like hit after hit. Um, so they helped, they, you know, they kind of re reignited a little bit of fire there. Um, yeah. Like and somehow he, that little destiny fate in a time of need when they didn't even know it kept that entrepreneurial spirit and the reason you started rolling. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, between my daughter, you know, uh, Aaron and, you know, actually my team and just linking up with, you know, the Ray Allen like that, like that just kept the whole thing kind of going. Um, and like I tell you, you know, they just added more to that fire that was like, you know, burning already. Like I was, I already knew like, okay, I have this much stuff to work for these, these people I have to make sure are successful in what they're doing <clears throat> and all these dogs. I want to make sure that we train in just people we help. And then, you know, the, the main push was, you know, the Ray Allen thing. And then it couldn't come in a more perfect time because at that point in time, we were, we were taking another quote unquote loss. You know, we were, we were, have, we were forced to move in out of the facility that we already invested so much into it. So within a span of like, Four and I uh, say three years. Within the span of three years, we you know we're close to almost a quarter mil just in losses when it comes to oh. facilities. So it was it was rough. Like it got a really rough patch. And it was you know I had that I had, at least I had the proper backing and like the people and like this motivation to keep going. And you know there's a quote I have tattooed on my arm. It's like too dumb to live, too smart to die. So it's like not knowing uh, when to say no or okay we're stopping. It just actually worked out you know in my favor that time. Um, but you know, we moved to Gilroy, we got this awesome location, uh, we're expanding it as well. And, you know, we, we've kind of just, we've just been pushing through, even through, you know, the pandemic, which was, a, it was obviously a really crappy year for some people, but for us business wise, we were able to, you know, thrive, uh, which, you know, led us to kind of do a community outreach where, you know, we did food programs for the community where a place called Margarita's like on every Tuesday we paid for families in need to get taco platters where it would feed up to five people. All they would have to do is call in like, a you know, during the week and be like, Hey, I'm going to pick up, you know, I'm doing the primal canine food program and they would come in and they would pick up these giant platters of food and it would feed a family um, or one person for God knows how long. And it was for, it was for free. We paid for everybody. I think we fed over 200 families during that month. Um, and then, you know, we did another program where when school started, where if people didn't have the internet, uh, they could utilize our facility. Uh, and cause when you're right, it's kind of a, it's like a mix, a mix of different like classes. Like you can have like, you know, you have, well, actually it's not like too much of it. It's like you have like the rich people who live like up in the hill and then predominantly like you're uh, mostly like a farming community and now it's growing more, but, a lot of people who necessarily don't, can't afford internet or, you know, it's especially when everyone's losing their jobs because the economy shut down and it's a lot of people who commute, a lot of people in the service industry and, you know, with restaurants and everything shut down, no one's really having jobs or money. So what we did is we opened our facility to people who needed the internet or a place for their kids to go and, you know, use the internet that even if they parked in the freaking parking lot, you know, we were giving, we're trying to give away like our Wi-Fi passwords that way. You know, because COVID and everything, we were trying to do our best to make sure that people, at least kids had a spot to go and, um, you know, stay in school. And that way, you know, no one gets in any more trouble because it's definitely where we live. You know, you can, kids can kind of go down the wrong path. And I, I find it, you know, as much as I possibly can help, you know, make sure kids don't. Cause, and, you know, even if it's, they find passion within dogs, 
you know, kind of like what saved my life because God knows what would have happened to me if I, you know, if I didn't, you know, find life and dogs. Um, I try to, you know, basically reach out and like make sure that happened. Um, so we, lucky enough, we were able to do good, uh, to do well enough to where we were able to help support our community with multiple food programs and, you know, offering the space uh, in, at our, at our facility now. So it in it pandemic actually helped us, you know, grow and get better. And, you know, during the pandemic as well, uh, we started a primal canine university, Yeah, which is, yeah. I wanna, yeah. And I want to talk what? about that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I mean, so I'll give you a rundown. So primal canine university started out years and years ago, um, as a FaceTime session. I would, at an eight week course, people would sign up for it. Uh, we had an enrollment date and a finish date. It, it, it actually did really well with that. It just was really time consuming for me. And I had, a, I was taking at that time, I was taking the brunt of our clientele. So I wasn't able to do it the best way I possibly could uh, until I started, you know, bringing on more staff to take some more clients for me. Uh, and you know, I did, I started off with that. And then during the pandemic, I, I kind of took a break from it for a little while. And then during the pandemic, um, our, my, my crew that I've been working with, I, they're like the tech guys and like my branding guys, like just people that we, I talk to them basically daily. Um, we're just like, shoot, man, like just let's start shooting online courses. And for me, I was, I've always been, I don't want to say against, but I've never really liked like the YouTube, uh, like instructional videos. Cause I felt like it was very cookie cutter and it, it set, it set people up for failure sometimes, you know, like what, what certain things. Well, uh, and I just, they just I, show dogs what? that know what they're doing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so we started PCU on our days. Like, let's just do courses. I was like, all right. I was like, I'll only do it if I can do it live. And I was like, that way it shows, it shows as raw as possible. So we, there were the guys, Roman and G, uh, who aren't dog trainers, but they're, they're very awesome friends of mine. They, they, they help with our website, you know, G, uh, G and I, uh, we've been doing, he's been helping me basically I come up with the idea and he puts it into reality. So me and him work as a good team as far as like our branding, like all of the graphics that you see our t-shirts that you see, um, our logos are coming from G and then Roman handles all of our website stuff, the more technical things, um, you know, the things that require immense amount of focus and don't mess, <laughs> mess up, you know, that's uh, Roman usually handles those things. So we came together, uh, and, we started PCU and we started with these live courses. If anyone's on PCU, you know, all access pass. If you look at some of the first ones, it was as live as it could be, you know, malfunctions and all <laughs> like it was, it was raw, which is what I really liked because like you said, you know, it's, it's dogs that already know these things or you, you took it out the good parts and you, you know, took out the bad parts and you've only left the good parts, you know, and it wasn't reality for me. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do it this way. So we started off doing it live. Um, and then, you know, another idea I had because I, in the dog world, you know, it's always, it was the same, you know, you put uh, two dog or three dog trainers in a room, you know, it's two talking crap about the other one or something like that. Like, yeah. like so like, you know, my idea was like, well, shit, I was like, it doesn't need to be that way. I was like, let's, you know, everyone does things different. And, you know, as long as the dog, the job is getting done, done, the dogs are healthy and understandably like, you know, happy doing the things. And the, even though it's a different way, it's, a, you know, different strokes are different folks. So, let's add in and plus people absorb knowledge differently. Like for me, I'm a very, this is how I talk. So it's, it's, it's not like super detailed. I'm not over analytical. That's just I'm very much like, you know, A plus B equals C. Whereas, you know, one of our instructors, you know, Michael Nesbitt, if you talk to him, it sounds like 
you're talking to a, a freaking college professor. You know, it's like, but it's like, oh, there you go. You almost almost caught me. I caught, I catched myself there. I don't know if you guys saw that before or heard that, but I was like, and I was like freaking because of our conversation right before we got on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? But, I I want to segue that into some of the the actual dog training things. Like your your comment about you get three dog trainers in a room and they're gonna the two of them are gonna argue how the third one's wrong, right? Yep. Well, me and you are two dog trainers. Kevin is in the room, but he ain't no shit. <laughs> um, and and what I want to bring to our listeners, first of all, I, your story, I, I I didn't want to interrupt you because you're what I love about you and what I've followed is is your passion, and so I want to you know air high five via podcast perseverance an entrepreneurial spirit and never give up attitude. And I hope that everybody, while they listen to you talk, heard about all the adversity. And I didn't know it. I, I had watched something where, you know, the story you told where you, you moved into a new facility and the neighbors thought you guys were sketchy, right? Like they, <laughs> they judged a book by the cover and got you out of there. So I had heard that story. Um, and what I want everybody to kind of pick up on in a non-dog related way is everybody probably looks at me and you on social media and is like, man, they got it good. Look at them working dogs all day. And, oh, it's everything is, is hunky-dory and everybody's posting social media pictures of their vacation to Hawaii and da-da-da-da-da and life is good, right? Well, nobody saw the struggle that you had to go through for four years to find a location and build clients and keep clients happy and train dogs alongside dealing with cancer. I mean, come on, for real? Uh, that would put most people down and, and quit. And all these adversities in your in your way, hurdles in your way, and every time you found a way to win, and I think that that, I don't think, I know, that that is impressive and I'm, I'm going to take that to heart. I'm going to remember that conversation and I want you to, you don't know me, we've never met, but I think that that's very powerful and I respect the hell out of it because not like what we do all day, dealing with clients, dealing with dogs, dealing with just all the stuff that we've got to do is kind of hard enough and there's a lot of responsibility behind it. But then to add on all the other life that gets thrown at you and to come out the other end and still be productive and profitable and driven and motivated is something that I, I hope that everybody had listened to and takes it to heart. So thanks for sharing that, man. No, I appreciate it. And, and you know, to kind of, you know, you know segue after that and kind of go into like just a life perspective. I, I was, uh, I was talking to, you know, Aaron, uh, and we were, we just, so we just got this like new house, like this property and everything like that. And, and, you know, with all this stuff culminating with the Ray Allen things and like, and kind of like you said, you know, everyone sees all these great things on social media and like, you know, they see like this like grandiose, like version of what, you know, reality is, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm very blunt and transparent, um, what the, my experience in life just because, you know, I, I was, uh, I'm 36, um, yeah, I'm 36, yeah, I'm 36 years old. Sorry, horrible memory, but I'm 36 years old. And, you know, when I was, I was born in a really like crappy, like environment, you know, was been broke, 
uh, my majority of my life, uh, just cause you know, that's why I, I was started off in a really bad position. Um, but you know, worked through it, got, you know, got to the position where I was and you know, five years ago or four years ago, uh, while having cancer and everything like that, I was living in my office. Yeah. So like <laughs> I was, I was living in my office and yeah, and that was just like where, what I had to do, like, just cause that's what made sense for the business. I can pay my guys so I can do all the things I needed to do. Um, but I was living in my office at the same time for my daughter doing those things, but I knew what the end goal was. And I knew I, I still, you know, it's one foot in front of the other, you know, you gotta just keep going. I knew like, as long as I just kept going forward, you know, I would either, you know, go out trying to make life better or I would get to where I need to go. I mean, like, you know, no matter what your position in his life, you know, if there's a goal there and, you know, if you're, you know, I want to say, I used to say the, the term dumb enough to pursue it, but I felt like that was more negative. Like, you know, if you have, if you just, you know, take one day at a time, just like, you know, where it makes a little bit, a little bit more forward momentum and just keep going and, you know, just keep pushing. I, you can achieve it. I mean, I tell all my guys all the time and, you know, my trainers, all these guys that, you know, are shadow me or apprentice or like just do these things. I'm like, look at, I was like, I'm, it's like life's never going to be easy. So just come to terms with that. Like it's even right now, like as a dog trainer, like, you know, for you guys probably as well, like, you know, we're still picking up, you know, you, I can say, I can say that's right. Oh, you're still, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah you're still, I got a bucket in my yard right now. <laughs> yeah. You're still picking up shit. You're still, you know, working with dogs, just hands are still getting dirty. You're still have the, the immense responsibility of someone's pet or someone's working animal that they're investing, you know, you know, lots of money into and you still have all these responsibilities. So no matter how great you know it may appear, and like not to say like oh it's hard. I mean obviously it's reward percent. You know no matter how there's still there's still something like there's still it's still work every single day. And that's how you get to a level of success. In my opinion, that's how you get to specific levels of success, and that's how you maintain levels of, of success no matter what you're doing. You know if it's freaking mopping floors. I mean if you mop floors long enough, you find better techniques and get better. Like you're going to be the best damn floor mopper ever. Like it doesn't matter. Like you just continue to grow um, and get better. And, you know, yeah. And like, that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, you know, going off of that growing, like, you know, that's when we talk about like the PC or we're talking about the PCU thing. You know, my idea was like, all right, let's, let's build a community. Let's get this community together. Let's, let's bring in all these different trainers from different areas uh, of the country, of the world, like, like Nino Dewar from SDSK9, he did one on PCU online, he was an instructor. Um, Andy Kruger was a French ring guy, one of, uh, I believe one of the very few Americans who actually made it, who became a, a super select decoy for the French ring world, which is if you're, if you know about like ring sports, super select as a decoy, means like the ultimate athlete in decoying. Um, Will you do uh, me a favor? Because I don't know if everybody knows what that means that listens to this. Will you describe what a decoy is? Yeah, so you guys, you guys obviously have different terminology with a decoy. So the decoy is the guy in the suit. Uh, he's the guy in the suit that's um, getting bit by the dog. And it's in suit, bite suit sports, there's a variety of different types of bite suit sports. So just to kind of give the listeners uh, a brief overview, you know, the main sports that most people will fixate on <clears throat> is in dogs and protection dog sports is IGP, which is the old Schutzen, which is the sleeve sport, which is if you see a guy who looks like they're wearing overalls and a big hard sleeve carrying like what looks like a whip or a padded stick, that is Schutzen, um, which has three different sectors in it when it comes to like their sport. And then, you know, some of the more popular ones coming out now are like our Mondial ring or the ring sports, which are dogs who predominantly target legs. Um, in lower levels and as you get to the higher levels, you know, the upper body 
um, decoys remain silent. You know, in a French ring, all you have is a clatter stick, and they're you know, basically you have to be really quick to make the dog miss. Uh, and then in in uh, Mondio, you have all the accessories. Like if people see you know, guys with like jugs of you know you know uh, just rocks and like all this like flashy flur- friendly stuff that they put the barrage in front of the dog um, just to kind of test their environmentals and see if the dog's fully committed to the bite. And then you have like you have like PSA, which is the Protection Sports Association, um, which is you know dogs who predominantly go upper body like you know left bicep. I'm sure you guys see it. They have like the clatter sticks. The the palm is out towards the dog, and they're like get that dog out of here. And then the dog bites right. them, and then they drive them. Um, and you have like that sports, and then APPDA, which is another sport that's predominantly in the East Coast that's making a big push as well. Um, and that's like a combination of, var- of variables of variables when it comes to like how they approach the dog but it, there's there's uh, so many different decoys uh you know or there's there's decoys and then there's different sports so I there's so you. many physical yeah there's different physical attributes and things that you got to do um and then there's canine street league that we're you know we're actually we just launched the rule book uh, the entry level rule book and the club registration um that we're producing which will be uh, they're currently the only pro- professional dog sport in the industry, which is the competitors who, you know, place actually get paid because, you know, and, and any, in any form of dogs uh, in dogs in general, you know, there's work, you guys are putting in work, you're putting in hours, you're you know, taking away time from family, you're spending X amount of money to train, you're doing all these things just to get a specific look in your heel or, you know, a, a head placement or position in sits or downs or creating neutrality around these decoys or helpers and environmental stuff. Like it's hours and hours and hours of work. And I, I feel like, you know, plastic trophies and, you know, ribbons and paper certificates saying, Oh, I completed this, you know, isn't enough uh, to give back to these people who dedicate their, their bodies and, you know, their life to these things. So I wanted to create something that uh, was, or, was beneficial to people and a, a good friend and another PCU instructor of ours, Oscar Mora during one of our podcast episodes of drinks and dogs uh, mentioned like he wanted to start something. And every time we get off the, uh, get off the drinks and dogs episode, we do a little debriefing and all they do is like, are you serious? And like, do you want to do this? And the way my mind works is like, if I get, if I something catches like my, you know, a little, uh, it's a nerve for me. Like it, I just go full force with it. And, and then, Canon Street League was born. I think within a week we had a logo, and you know, a couple months later we had, but we had a few months later we did like a, a decoy seminar. Like it, was, it just it just took the ball rolling, and I got Raylan to uh, sponsor the event uh, or the trial and everything and all the stuff that we were doing. So it just took off. Um, awesome. But yeah, yeah. So like you know, going back to the PCU thing, uh, you know, I wanted to bring in all these different people so people could you know, learning people learn differently. They have different goals. So we brought in, you know, Andy Kruger, the French ring, uh, it was like, you know, French ring genius. We brought in, um, Sean Thankachin, another a PSA guy, a, a amazing PSA decoy uh, who's out in Canada. Um, we brought in Michael Nesbeth, who I kind of mentioned before, like if you'd listen to that guy, like he's, you know, he sounds like a freaking college, like a professor or something like that. Um, you know, we brought him in, you know, Oscar Mora, David Herbert from Canada Commerce Training. We brought in, uh, Nino Dewar. I mean, we have a variety of different trainers, including myself on PCU. Uh, and that way it kind of just fits everybody. You know, we are, you know, at least uh, when, I, when I was still trying to grab a bunch of uh, trainers on there, you know, it, we wanted to share perspective. We wanted to share, you know, Hey, look, like we don't kind of consistently, you know, 
talk about each other. Like your way is your way. That's great. Does it work? Awesome. That's fine. Just because your way is not my way doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just means that's your way. Like if you, everyone, in my opinion, every dog trainer, you know, takes what they learn and they format it to something that fits their way of delivering information. That's right. And you know what they're experiencing because, you know, even though we're dog trainers and using, you guys see this, I mean, even when it comes to like genetics, you know, dogs who are genetically the same, you know, I have, you know, you know, genetically the same, they're complete individuals. I mean, like it doesn't, you know, they, one, my, one of my dogs is the same bloodline as the other one could be, one could be sensitive, one could be not. They might have genetic traits that are the same, but personalities will always kind of be different. Even, you know, talking to, uh, you know, people who have cloned their dogs, the, some behaviors may stay the same. Um, when it comes to, I like, I forgot, I think like, I think it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was advanced canine systems or Joe or like it was somebody else. Um, but they're telling me like, you know, their dog that they cloned would always circle the circle, the car that they would go into the car from like, like basically the driver's side, go around the car and sit by the driver's side door. And all the puppies would do the same thing. Like not ever, never seen it before, but they would individually circle the car. Like they, for some reason caught on to specific, um, genetic things that the dogs would do, hmm. like spinning and do those things. So it became, it was interesting to me, but the thing you said is like, you know, they all have their own individual personalities. And that was, you know, that was, you know, that was like reaffirmed, re- basically reassured and reaffirmed, like, you know, what I've been saying, like all these years is like, you know, that's always going to be different. So the approach is always going to be different. Right. Um, but I mean, like that's where, you know, just the, the flexibility and things and having different perspectives really helps people. And you know, that we've, we've got a really good feedback, you know, kind of going back to like, you know, working with, you know, other dog trainers and kind of showing like, Hey, like it, you know, we don't got to always talk bad about each other and like, you know, have that thing. Cause for some reason that's just the dog training community. Um, you know, we started the drinks and dogs podcast where, you know, much like, you know, the debriefing you guys gave me or the debriefing you guys gave me and just like how these conversations are going. It's very flowy. It's just a natural way of conversating. It's basically sitting down, talking to your friends, like, like happy hour, you know, like and just right. kind of having that conversation, which has had a really cool, um, I think it's had, you know, just from my perspective, it's had a really good, uh, I guess, cool way of like showing the, you know, showing at least in our sector of dog training, like, oh, hey, look at like it's dog trainers getting along. And I think it's, and it's fun. It's cool. We actually, we have, after this thing, I, I'm going to have to text you guys and get you guys on there um, so we can, you know, work in, you know, in your guys' realm too. Um, We'd love I mean, like, that's, you know, yeah, I think that'd be, I think that'd be super fun. I mean, because, you know, for me, like, like, I don't do like, I don't, I don't work with a lot of like gun dog stuff or like any dogs that are involved in like hunting, like anything other than a man, other <laughs> than a person. Yeah. Um, well, that's what like I want to, I would love to talk about that part too, is they have instincts, right? Like your, you work, I would say if I had to take a, a 10 second review, your business is getting people's reactive dogs better teach the owners how to handle it and read body language and and manage it but then like the fun stuff right like mine so the fun stuff for you would be like competing the bite work the detection work stuff like that for me it's like I build a hunting dog and my fun stuff is competing in hunt tests and challenging my dogs to go further run harder you know stop on a whistle and cast wherever I tell them to go, stuff like that. So we've got two different breeds or not breeds. Isn't the word I have breeds written down because I want to hear about your favorites, but 
we retrieve. So whether it's a Golden, a Labrador, a Chesapeake, a this or that, they like to go and find a duck and bring it back to me. When they're eight weeks old, they'll do it. It's not rocket science. It's bred into them. Your breed's instincts are biting. <laughs> right? Like, and we've got to manage that and challenge that. And um, what would be interesting is how you, you know, I would like to know your favorite breed to work with for the sports and why. Uh, <laughs> that um so i have so my overall favorite breed in general like if i have to pick a dog um personally it's gonna be like you know the bully the pity is a bully breed it's just because that's kind of what i grew up with my favorite dogs to work with when it comes to competitive um you know let's say if i'm getting a dog ready for street league or whatever it may be <clears throat> and it just comes down to genetics and the years of how much how refined the genetics are are Dutch Shepherds and like Malinois. Um, one, because genetic inclination, they already have kind of wired into them, into their system. I know what I'm kind of, I know what I'm essentially getting. Um, and it's, it's easy, you know, <laughs> like, you know, for like, and you mentioned like, you know, corners point, you know, you get a little puppy, like, you know, typically they, they do their thing. Like, you know, especially if it's well bred, like, you know, they do like, they do these things. Naturally it's up to us to kind of refine and, you know, create these behaviors and just kind of make them better and get, you know, make them better and better as we go. Like it's, it's pretty well built as it is now. It's just, it's up to us. So I've always said, it's like, you know, it's kind of cheating. Like the Dutchies and you know, like for us, like I have a, a kennel full of Dutch shepherds and Malinois. Like, you know, just cause out of personal dogs that we use either for breeding stock or, you know, you know ones that we may sell for personal protection or law enforcement. <clears throat> I typically have those because it's, you know, genetics are there. I understand that they'll do the things. I know we put the work in and uh, <clears throat> it shows. So, I got a buddy that has comes- a Dutch shepherd that was trained for police work, retired, and he got it. And I mean, he raves about it. Raves. Well, they're awesome. I mean, they're. I have. I had text on YouTube. We Bark uh, Barcroft did this uh, thing on us that was called a uh, whatever. Uh, I forgot it's a, the Big Dog Show. It's on YouTube, but. We went on, we did one of there during the COVID, uh, and I have a dog named Ozzy, or my, my fiance Aaron has a dog named Ozzy. Um, and he's, I, I've, I've traveled the country, and it's the hardest biting dog I've ever been bitten by, but he's a giant Dutch Shepherd. Uh, and the, they, they titled it like the canine knows Jiu Jitsu because I, I roll around my dogs, and I think he does effectively know some transitions, but everyone was like, and I was like, oh man, I need a dog like him. I was like, no, you absolutely do not need a dog like him. I was like, this dog will like eat someone's soul if she, if he's told to like, they're, you know, again, I, again, like I, I made that kind of sound like real easy. Like the Dutch shepherds are like easy dogs. And, and Rian, I'm sure the same, you guys deal with the same thing when it comes to hunting dogs. You know, it's, it's not really that easy. I mean, like they're pretty like lots of energy. I mean, you know, our dogs bite and they're noisy and especially at a young age. You, know, you have dogs who are bred to be very possessive and dominant and, you know, they will challenge you. They'll, 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 you know, are they great family dogs? I mean, if they're, if you're, if you're responsible, you get with the trainer at an early age, you do things right. You do your management. Yeah. I mean, they can be great, you know, family dogs, but if you're just like, Hey, I'm going to go on Craigslist, Dutch Shepherd, and then go, you know, whatever, like, let's get that. Then I would say probably not. I mean, so they're not for everything. And yeah, that's actually a question I have for you. Uh, you guys, like when you're, when you guys have like, you know, the hunting dogs, you know, is it similar to, you know, raising these working dogs, like, you know, like the, like the biting dogs and stuff like that, where 
basically just like, you know, cracked out all the time and just very much like go, go, go. And like, you know, have to be man specific. Yeah. Is it, is it kind of like that? So the a phenomenal question and it is something that I, w- I would like to do a mini deep dive on this. You know, I, the answer is yes. There, the answer is trying to, when someone calls me for a dog, I ask them what their goals are first, because that helps me tell them that this isn't the litter for them. You know, this might be the litter that, you know, the dog doesn't lay down. I've got a dog right now that I own personally. She is a year and a half old and bad to the bone. Exceptional. But in the house, I don't ever see her lay down. She's grabbing a tennis ball, putting it in my lap. She's putting her head on my lap and nudging me. She's this, she's that. I've got a six-month-old that's laying down, chill, and then, you know, when it's work time, she's full work. But at least in the house, she can turn it off. The other dog can't turn it off. Well, if you got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and you got that puppy that can't turn it off, it's a little harder. And, you know, and I'm a trainer, so she's disciplined. I mean, she knows what's up, but at the end of the day she still wants to do stuff all the time and needs me all the time and wants me all the time and wants to do something and please me if that went to a home that had no discipline and very little exercise and very little structure and control she'd probably rule the roost and tear a couch apart and it would be that terrible labrador retriever right yep. but the difference between a labrador retriever is they don't bite your ass <laughs> right like if you get that dog, if you get, her name is Quinn, she's awesome, but if you gave Quinn in a Belgian Malinois to the person who doesn't need her and, and don't know what they're doing, that dog's, there's going to be a, a real problem because the worst my dog wants to do is just retrieve a ton and get exercised. The worst your, you're not your, I don't, I shouldn't have said that, but like the worst that breed would do is like, Bite your ass. And so how yep. do you how do you educate people that like, yeah, they're a great breed. They're one of the smartest breeds out there and they're a workhorse. But it it has to be channeled. And I'm sure that there are Malinois out there that have the on off switch. But like I would like you to exp- explain to me, because I have no idea, how to teach that dog right now is when you bite when the kids are wrestling on the floor don't go into protection mode like does that make sense like that's always been my question for someone like yourself is like and i've trained i've trained a bunch of house dogs too that's like when the husband and wife hug the dog goes in between them and growls and you know possessive and alpha and and weird stuff but like the dog whose natural instinct is to retrieve, they're going to retrieve. The natural instinct is to bite and defend and put order into the world is, is is to do it with their teeth. How do you get that sucker to like, not your time, now's your time, not your time, and 98% is not your time? Does that make no, sense? I mean, is that a good question? Yeah. No, it's a great question because, I mean, a lot of times people – so it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? So like, you know, the way that you look at it, the way I look at it is like all of our dogs, um, you know, when, and despite what people see like in videos and everything like that, 
you know, the dogs that you see on suits, more than half of those won't bite a person in real life. Will they be extremely destructive in the, or destructive to your household? Will they test you and do all these other things? Are they tons of energy? Will they become destructive? You don't give them all that outlet. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, a lot of these dogs won't actually, especially when they're highly you know, sport dogs, you know, won't, won't bite somebody for real. Um, they'll just kind of like be annoying and just, you know, pester. And then eventually they'll bite somebody when you don't, especially if they, <laughs> if they don't get the stuff that they need. Right. Um, you know, cause genetic inclination, you can only bite that so much. Um, but I mean like with us, you know, I start dogs off. You know, like, for example, I'm raising a puppy right now. His name is Judah. He's a six month old Dutch shepherd. Um, on my, on my personal page, like he's already on hidden equipment. Um, like he's very civil for a puppy. But the the thing with him is I started everything off as playful. So what would happen is, you know, Aaron's my main handler. So we would take him out of our kennel, um, you know, his crate or wherever he's at in the house. And, you know, he gets his harness on, he's ready to go. And, you know, what we do is we start to imprint a marker. That means like, you know, like for him, we're just selling. So once, you know, Aaron says that, I start playing with him with the rag or when he was a puppy and start playing with the rag. So that, it was his outlet during that time. So he's only biting when these toys come out because it's prey is play. So it's right. like, oh, hey, like I gave him that outlet to it. I mean, there's times when I've done civil stuff, but again, it's always set up with that marker. Um, and, you know, he has a great displacement where he's understandable when it's time, it's time. And when it's not time, he's just going to be kind of a puppy. Yeah. And right now he doesn't really lay down too much just because he's just a young puppy. But like, let's say my older dogs um, who understand those things, like, you know, they know that like, just because of the way we train it, you know, we're creating a playful behavior or playful scenario based on equipment, based on, you know, the area, the environment that we're in, um, and based on the markers. Cause we don't just go right into like the civil agitation, the defense work, which creates, you know, puts dogs in that fight or flight mode with dogs who don't already go through the foundations of like understanding. It's like, Oh, Hey, it's equipment. We're playing we're we're doing these things. And we give them that outlet. Once the dog has clear, basically turn on and a good out or, you know, basically a turn on like switch. Then we'll start doing more civil stuff. As long as the dog understands once this word is said, this is when we can go ahead and react. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the defense things that people see, like we're home breakings and the dogs do, do go and bite. I mean, chances are the dogs were taught that scenario. So once they've seen that picture, they understand that like, this is okay. Then they know like this is okay. When to do those things. Whereas like, because they've seen that picture, they've been told it's fine to do it. Whereas if you go into, you know, a dog, if you just bum rush a, a dog's house that's never seen a bite pillow, never seen a bite, never seen a sleep, never seen a scenario, you're, you're, you're risking, I mean, especially if you're dependent on this dog being naturally defensive, you know, you're risking a lot. One, if a dog is naturally defensive, you don't really have a protection dog because, you know, you have a liability. Because right. that means that, you know, you hug, you know, you hug the wrong person or, you know, bro hug your friend your friend and it's a loud smack on the back or you know your your kid runs around you know your dog you get you get too close to you your dog they're defensive so they don't know their boundaries but if you teach the dog the boundaries you essentially treat them you know show them like this okay when you do these things you don't you can never do that you know without being told and you show them like all this stuff then then you're then you have a you have a dog who can work in as multifunctional it can be a personal protection dog it can be a sport dog it can be you know, your pet as well and all those things, but it has to be treated like, you know, I, what if I, I kind of uh, exaggerate it with it you know, just to make sure people are really understanding. It's like, you have a loaded weapon, you know, if <laughs> you have a loaded weapon and I was like, and I've, I've said it to friends. I was like, you know, who've asked me about dogs. I'm like, 
well, I mean, no, why, why, why isn't it a good thing to have, or why isn't it a good thing to have any dogs? And I was like, well, I'm not going to sell a gun to a six-year-old, right? So it's like, why would I sell you this dog? That is, essentially, you're the six-year-old in this if you want all these different things. And, you know, like you're, and I'm going to give you a dog who's going to be right. potentially a problem or be problematic and be a liability. So, you know, to kind of give you the answer of how, like, how we teach it is that it's all fun and games in the beginning. It's just all about creating you know, confidence with the dog, making sure they have the outlet to do what they do. We started off with our marker words. And then when it comes to the household behaviors, you know, once, you know, they get through some like the, we keep them busy in the house or start teaching them place command. I really like this free safe place. So the dogs understand like, Oh, that's my time to go. And, you know, I, when I say place, like they understand because they figured it out their own that, you know, they go into place command and they just hang out in their own beds. Yeah. And then they're fine. You know, my daughter who's she's not really as rambunctious, um, yeah, she was like when she was younger by running around, but my daughter is perfectly fine with all our dogs, our friends. We have our, our friends, basically like our trainers, you know, everyone comes over, you know, they all hang out, like the dogs are fine. And, you know, most of our, you know, my trainers are, you know, some of basically all of our decoys too. So, you know, our dogs bite them, but they know time and place and they understand when they can do things and when they can't do things just by the training that we imply, uh, we apply to them and, having them, you know, because we live in California where you essentially you can get sued for freaking anything. Um, yeah. Well, we're <laughs> in New York, buddy, so we ain't that much better. Oh, there you go. So you guys understand. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's that level of, you know, of concern and, you know, things that you have to be when you're betting, you know, who you're training, what you're training them for, or who you're selling a puppy to, what you're selling that puppy for, you know, the what purpose of it is. You know, and it all comes down to us and, you know, for, you know, with, you know, with our training, you know, I really make sure that, you know, if we do the, the occasional times we do do private readings, you know, we make sure that the dogs get either training done by us or, or the people get training done by us or by affiliate of ours, depending on where they are within the country. Right. So as long as they get those things taken care of, you know, then it's fine. And, you know, we're, we're okay with it just because we do understand the li- the liability aspect of things that come with all these, with all this stuff. Right. All right. We are, we're not running out of time yet, but we don't have a lot of time. One of the things that I am most excited about you is your discussion on social neutrality. And, yeah. And so what I'd like you to do is quickly give a definition of what that means because everybody wants, like, my I got a puppy and I want it to meet everybody and, you know, Sally Sue down the road brings her such and such dog can, oh, they should meet, they should meet, you know, talk about social neutrality and then we'll wrap it up with everybody following you and all that good stuff. So I'll kind of, I'll make this as brief as I can because I actually was going to, I'm just going to write something about this stuff to you. I got a bunch of questions about it. Um, social neutrality is actually what socialization is. Socialization is extremely misunderstood and in my opinion, opinion, a very selfish human thing. Um, because if you think about it, like dog parks, what are people doing? They're not interacting with their dogs. The whole thought process is, well, how are they going to get their exercise? That's you get you give them their exercise. You know, it's, you know, people are usually like on their phones or you know whatever. Or like, well, why are you people like, when people walk up to you and be like, oh, okay, like can I pet your dog? And you say no. They're like, well, why? Like, well, why you don't walk up to people's kids and like can I pet your kid? Like you know, like you don't walk up to people like can I pet the you know that? Like well, it's Kevin, kind of like you want to tries pet. to pet a lot of little kids. Listen, Mike, I feel like that's a great uh, <laughs> metaphor because, uh, or, you know, simile metaphor. Uh, we didn't get that far in English class, but I feel like that's 
a great point to make because if you don't do that, you, you just don't do that. And that I don't think enough people, I don't know. Can you repeat that a little bit? Because I feel like that's such a great statement to make and not enough people understand that, especially with the dogs that you're talking about and the breed and like what's in their blood and, and what don't, they do. don't pet me. Don't pet them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, I totally, I, mean, I don't know. I love it. Well, I mean, if you think about it this way, because humans have this horrible habit of humanizing everything, right? Or like self-projecting or whatever the terms are. I didn't get that far in English or anything in general. I have all my stuff spell checked by Aaron, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's, you know, with humans, you know, as, as a social aspect of when you're walking out to, you know, uh, let's say a bar or you're going to a restaurant, you know, well, I mean, I'm sure you guys are still in lockdown kind of like us, but when we used to be able to do that, we can go with a group of friends. There can be hundreds of people there, but we stay with our group of friends. We talk to these people that are our friends and very rarely do we mingle without our circle. So why are we, ex- why are we expecting that of our dog? Um, and like, why is that, why is that a thought process for us? Like it's a humanization thought process. It's an idealistic version. It's like people who freaking feed their dog vegan food. That doesn't like you're, you're projecting your own thoughts and what you your feelings onto your dog. You know, it's not, it's, it's not the same. So social neutrality is what real socialization is. It's actually what we do as people. We, you know, social neutrality is your dog being comfortable in any environment. They see a dog walk by, they see a person walk by. That's a dog and a person walk by. It's as good as furniture to them. It's what keeps them one engaged with you, which keeps them safe, keeps you safe. And in general, it's just the proper way of creating a well-balanced dog. Cause if you do, let's say you have a dog who goes to the dog park or puppy, you know, puppy daycare. And you know, you're like, Oh, they got to get their energy out. They got to meet dog friends. No, they don't. They just need you to be a better uh, owner is, you know, what happens there is like you go there a hundred times. It takes one time for that dog to get bitten by a dog, rough house, you know, pinned, you know, you know, some dog pins them on the floor for your dog to start building that progressional, you know, dog reactivity. Cause what's going to happen is like, I'm not, you know, they're going to be offensively defensive. They're gonna be like, I'm not letting that happen again. I'm going to start being more vocal about this. So it stays away or worst case scenario, I'm going to be proactive and, you know, get this person or get this dog first before, you know, they get me. So you, it just takes one time. That's all it takes one time for a whole load of behavioral problems to come which in return is not going to put your dog in a great mental state nor, and it's not going to cost, and it's going to cost you a lot more money too, you know, with vet bills and training. And then, you know, talking about people as well, you know, if you look at the way that people interact, I mean, look at a, a defense table, right? So a defense table is meant to put a dog in a, a position where it's essentially fight or flight. And what I mean, what I mean defense table is if anyone sees bite sports or sees bite work and the dog's on a table with typically there's two panels on it, or, you know, they put them on a spool, but the point is to put the dog face to face with the decoy, um, and which, you know, and decoys usually square up and it's more of a defensive picture. And there's no way to go because the dog is on this table. So it pushes them into fight or flight. And what, what, what do people do when they want to go pet a puppy? They come down. And if it's like a lady, you know, with too much white wine in her system, it's, Oh, puppy. And their hands are up and like they're <laughs> coming down face to face. Like the puppy, like when people are like, my dog backs away. It's like, no shit. If a giant was backing, was, coming down to me like, oh human you know like i'm gonna back away too like it's, it's you want to humanize things let's talk about the realistic realistic expectations of this and yeah. what they're actually seeing yeah. you know not only yeah i mean like not only are these dogs and in, in essentially in a foreign world because they don't speak english they just know what this that sound means this sound and then they have this you know weird stranger person coming down and like you know even some people try to pick up the freaking dog that they don't even like own or anything like that like they try to do it. They're like, of course the dog's going to be like either like, ah, or 
And in my opinion, one of the worst cases, you know, starts enjoying that. And when they start enjoying that, it takes away from any value that you have. So when you're walking down the street, all of a sudden, every single person is this high level of excitement and you're just the normal person that they see every day. So right. you got a bunch of, especially when it comes to dogs, I mean, like you lose value, you, you risk a lot of behavioral issues when you practice improper socialization and poor socialization is what the most of the masses, you know, think of socialization, which is dog parks, public play dates, let everyone and their mother freaking pet your dog on like a walking petting zoo. Uh, and you know, the, just the dumb stuff they shouldn't be doing. And not to talk down to people who have done it, who do those things, it's, you know, just misinformation. Right. All right, Mike, we got two minutes. Give everybody where they can find you. Um, so let's see, at Primal Canine on Twitter, on Instagram. We're not really on Twitter very much. Uh, Instagram for the most part, backslash Primal Canine on Facebook. I think I have a crew uh, running our, tw- uh, our TikTok, so I think it's at Primal Canine on there. Um, and then PrimalCanine.com. And uh, you can also check out at PCU online and then uh, at Canine Street League on uh, Instagram. And then our friends over at Ray Allen as well, uh, Ray, at Ray Allen K9. Um, but yeah, those are all of our little links. There's always fun content on there. Um, the same monotone voice is typically on the Primal Canine when doing Q&As, uh, which is myself. So yeah, you know, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Dude, we can't thank you enough. I enjoyed it. And there's so much more I want to do with you. So this will be reoccurring. You're the man. Thank you for joining us tonight. I know you're a busy dude. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome, guys. I appreciate it. And then we'll get you on Drinks and Dogs, too. So we'll Love have it. some more conversations. Love it. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.